Nelson in looking for Garza backside and in for the first goal in Atlanta United history from Yamil Assad. Take a look at history. Hey y'all, Joe Patrick here, Five Stripe Final. Here with uh, a man you may know. If you don't know him, you've probably read him. His name is Chris Furmeister with uh, Pro Soccer USA, also notably with The Guardian. Uh, no Sam today. He is doing college things. I don't know. I never know what Sam's up to. I think he had to call it, cover college football, uh, or I'm sorry, high school football for the game during the game uh, Friday night, which is disappointing. But um, anyway, Chris, glad, to, glad you're here. This has been a long time coming. Want to get you on the show, so uh, welcome to Five Strike Final. Thank you, Joe. I appreciate it. And I guess Sam is just—he's uh, been ducking me ever since I beat him in fantasy Premier League Week One. So I assume that's continuing. <laughs> that's right. So if any, yeah, if anybody doesn't know, we have a uh, we have a fantasy Premier League going on with the Atlanta United media. It's um, myself, you, Sam, bunch of just a bunch of media people, the soccer down here folks, along with uh, some Atlanta United communication staff. So. It's pretty fun. It's pretty fun. Yeah. I, I've actually been doing okay uh, so far. Um, I Doug, started Doug off well. Me. Yeah. I, I won in week one, and then I uh, I have suffered a draw and a loss since, so <laughs> it's not as fun as it was for me <laughs> right. at the beginning. Well, it's only fun when you win. Yeah. Um, so, I think we all know the reason why I wanted to have you on the show. Chris obviously wrote the big, huge story this, this year of um, Frank DeBoer and his comments on, you know, equal pay which just sounds like i don't want to get into the 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 nitty-gritty details of this topic but i just want to talk to chris about his experience reporting it um but before we do that why don't you like give some background into your career in terms of what you've written because i have to imagine this is the biggest story that you've done the one that's gotten the most publicity yeah this is definitely uh I, i would say that that is accurate um i've I started out in sports media. I was working on the like sports copy desk at the Birmingham News way back, way back in the day when Birmingham had a daily newspaper. Um, it's a three times a week paper now, and I had a little sidetrack for a few years into food writing. Um, I got I, I wrote for Eater, um, which is a Vox Media site, mm-hmm. and I, I had some some big things then, mostly more like take type things. I one time wrote about. Uh, how Texas barbecue and beef barbecue is not legitimate <laughs> and not real barbecue, and the only real barbecue is pork barbecue. So, as you might imagine, I, I angered everyone in the state of Texas. Right, right. Uh, but certainly, this uh, gained more traction than than yeah anything that I have written in those, the past. Those takes weren't scrolling across the bottom line on, no, on ESPN or anything. I was not getting a lot of texts from like everybody I know saying like, "Wow, I <laughs> just clicked on uh, the link that ESPN linked, and that uh, was saw your name there." So yeah, that. This was definitely the biggest for me. So it's so funny because when this story came out, I didn't even realize it had come out at the time. So it came out the morning of the Campiones Cup um, media session, the, 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 the pre-match press conference, which was the day before. And I hadn't seen the story until the second I got back to my computer after that press conference when we had just talked to Frank DeBoer. And uh, nobody asked him about it. And I remember you we were sitting next to each other at the, in the media center and you were like, I was, I was worried if someone was going to ask about it because it, it, it had just been published that morning. Um, what was the what was it like for you that day? Just like because I you know not I've not been on the scale that you were at with this story, but I just I know the feeling of like you know when something you know that's important is about to be published and you, you're kind of interested in seeing 
how people are going to take it. What was that kind of like for you? Yeah, I mean, it was something where, so I guess it was actually published at like 4.30 a.m. Eastern time um, because it is The Guardian. They're an international publication. So the, the few times that I've written for them, it's always dropped before I've been awake. Um, and it really, in those first few hours, it didn't take off as much as I was kind of anticipating because his comments on that subject, I figured were probably going to draw some attention. Yeah. Um, but then yeah, I think it was, I think that probably in the time that we were in that Campione's Cup press conference, at some point during that time, ESPN ran it, ran the quotes in their own story. And then once that happened and it was like really stateside, uh, then it, that it just set off. And it was just like, yeah, we were sitting in that media room and just like the other people in there, all of a sudden you can hear other people around like, talking, like, oh my God, can you believe what Frank DeBoer just said? And I'm like, okay, now I guess it's, and so, yeah, by the end of the day, uh, I had like all my, all of my friends who follow the team and who, who knew that I was writing that story and had read the story cause I dropped it in our group chat. They were just like sending me all these links and like, wow, I can't believe that like ESPN is writing about the thing that you wrote about. So, yeah, I mean, it is, it is pretty cool, I guess. Yeah, I mean, that's how I first came across it was through that ESPN article, which is kind of, that's a whole other story about the whole, which mm-hmm. is kind of what Dirty South Soccer does. You know, it's got the blogosphere. We do more in, per, in person reporting now, but, you know, a lot, how a lot of these ESPN oh, yeah. sites work is you're just kind of pulling quotes from other stories that other people do. I have done plenty of aggregating in my yeah. career, and I will continue to do plenty more. And so, yeah, I mean, like, yeah. that's that is how it works. And it just was like, I mean, yeah, I think like, ESPN had it. I mean, New York Times had it at some point, and I was like, I mean, I've aggregated the New York Times many, many times. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, that for me, it was a on a personal level, it was pretty cool. Yeah, it was really funny how it came up too, because like I said, so we've gotten back. There's like this big media center workroom where they had us um, to you know so we could write our stories outside of the press conference, and that was when I first saw the story, and I was sitting next to you, so we just started chatting about it a little bit. Meanwhile, there are some folks from MLS headquarters, uh, David Goss, he's on Extra Time Radio, uh, or Extra Time, whatever they call that show, he, you know, he's a big personality there. He was in town for the game, so he was sitting with some of his colleagues at a, at a table across the way, and I thought it was so funny, yeah, after some people had left here, yeah, he was one of the ones who was like, oh my gosh, you guys see these Frank DeBoer quotes? And then he kind of like looks up and he, he does like a double take with you. He's like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that we had met before that week yeah. because he had been in town for, I guess it was the New York City match was the weekend before, so he'd been in That's town right. for that and then he was in town all week for Campione's Cup. And so, yeah, we just like had some various interactions that you have uh, working with all these people and yeah, it was, it was pretty funny. Yeah, it was good. So um, the timing of that, like I didn't plan for, that's just how right. the editorial process worked. And when I knew that, that was the day that that you know the and that wasn't what the whole thing was. It was like a wide ranging right. feature. <laughs> yeah. But I knew that that was going to be the what caught fire, and I was like, ah, that is pretty bad timing. For them. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I I know like me now as an editor myself, just trying to like plan out stories like. I would definitely do something like that <laughs> where it's like, you, you know, if, if you have like a big story and it's not super timely, then, you know, maybe you hold it for a time when that team is going to be very prominent in the news and, you know, might get some more exposure. So yeah, lots of media around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, that was a crazy story. I don't want, like I said, I don't want to get into the nitty, nitty uh, the, the details of it, but um, I encourage everybody, if you haven't read it, go just search Christopher Meister's name in the Guardian. I'm sure it'll 
journal pop. And there, and you know, like I said, there is more to it than just yeah, that. Yeah. I mean, the, it was it was a very interesting conversation. Frank DeBoer is a, as we all know, uh, a very frank guy. Uh, he says exactly what he thinks, uh, and obviously does not hold back anything. We've learned this all year with his post game press conferences, and you know, in this story. And but yeah, he had, he had a lot of interesting things to say on. A variety of subjects. Uh, I mean, I it was an interesting conversation talking to him. Yeah, it's an interesting kind of narrative, kind of weaving everything that's gone on in his past together with what's happened at Atlanta United, and you know, it, it's it's definitely an interesting read. So I'd encourage everybody to check it out. Um, but let's kind of pivot now to um, to kind of what's going on with Atlanta United. It's been it's been such a crazy season, really, because it feels like there's just been a game every three or four days. Finally, now it almost feels like some sort of break with them having, you know, sort of a week between uh, having playing Portland on Sunday and then Orlando on Friday. That's like the longest they've had off in a long time. And now, obviously, they have this big um, U.S. Open Cup game. I don't know. How do you see this U.S. Open Cup game? It, it feels like a rollover to me. Like, it feels like kind of a, almost like a foregone conclusion um, with just the way this team is playing. And especially in Mercedes-Benz Stadium, they've been so dominant. It's hard to see a Minnesota United team come in to come in and win in the building. Yeah. I mean, if you look at their track record at home, the track record at home in finals now, they've played two of them. Uh they obviously against Portland last year in MLS Cup. That was a really good performance. They, I think, dominated that game. Is fair to say. And then against Club America, a team that, I mean, I think once we saw Club America was playing its first choice lineup, um, everybody assumed that Club America is probably going to win that game, even if Atlanta plays well. But Atlanta fully deserved to win that game. They've got to have confidence coming into this one. They've got to feel like playing at home, playing in front of their crowd. And they just, yeah, they seem to to up the ante when when they are playing in these finals and these big games. Like they they talk about they've talked about some big regular season games, like playing it like it's a final. Uh, the way they played against Colorado, I mean, you can really just when the game is on a bit of a higher level, when it's a more important game, they do seem to to raise the intensity. And I think that you saw in Orlando, they've been playing a lot of games high intensity, and so the most recent game in Orlando, they looked pretty dead and that was you know it was very hot and humid down there um that certainly played a factor i'm sure but but yeah i think that this high intensity like it, it wears on them but i yeah. think that they'll be up for this one well there's something about this team and i kind of i was trying to kind of get guys to talk about it this morning we were at the training session by or the the, the training center um this morning by the way so that's why this audio is, sounds a little different than it normally would by the way um but i was trying to get the guys to talk or just touch on kind of the mentality of this team right now as a team that is has won trophies because so last night I was, I was watching the LAFC LA Galaxy game and I was looking at LS, LAFC like I have all season and thinking you know what an incre- incredibly talented team um, you know they've got guys all over the field who can beat you they I would argue they probably have a more talented team than Atlanta United right now. Not yeah. not not based on like guys' pedigrees of what they've done in the past, but just based what they're based doing. on how they're performing yeah. right now. I think they're the most talented team. And at the same time, you watch them play against the LA Galaxy in this big game, and they've yet to beat LA Galaxy uh, in, in two years. And I just get that feeling. Well, me as a Tottenham fan, I I, I, I certainly am like well versed, well aware of like 
how a team can be talented, but kind of not having that that winning mentality. Are you saying that LAFC is a little spursy? <laughs> I, well, yeah, that is what I'm saying. They got knocked out by Portland in the U.S. Open Cup, the game they should not have lost. I just feel like when it comes to Atlanta United, I feel like you got to feel like you're in a pretty good position if you're them because you just have that you, – you know how to, what it takes to win – in the games that matter the most, you know, like you've been in that, those positions. Yeah, I mean, that's the funny thing. Like, the comparisons between LAFC and Atlanta just they really are so similar because LAFC comes in one year after Atlanta, and like from the beginning, they had a similar first year to Atlanta. They're having a similar second year where they really have raised their level um, and look to be the clear championship favorites, but they have. They have struggled in in the big games, and that was something that Atlanta struggled with. Atlanta always had the reputation from like national pundits of just being flat track bullies. Like they they couldn't win the big games, mm-hmm. and I think that going into the playoffs last year, considering how poor Atlanta looked in that late game at the Red Bulls, yeah. considering how they lost the Shield in terrible fashion at Toronto on the last day of the season. I mean, I if I remember correctly, like just looking at predictions, like I think. A lot of people predicted them to lose to NYC. Hardly anybody was predicting them to get past the Red Bulls and get to the final. I mean, and yeah, I mean, it sort of feels that way with LAFC where there's big I mean, they can't beat the Galaxy, and they are a better team than the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. I mean, 100%. Pavone makes the Galaxy better than they have been. But yeah, they're still, they're a better team than the Galaxy. They absolutely should have beaten Portland in that Open Cup game. Uh, so until they just get over the hump and win some of these games, that's going to be the lingering doubt. And it's it makes it more difficult for them because Atlanta had in the playoffs last year at least, like even if they would have struggled in the first game against New York City at New York City, like they had a second game. Yeah. I mean, LAFC's games are all going to be at home, but we have seen that teams can play physically against them, can bunker against them, and can have success. And all it takes is just like in a one-game scenario – one freak goal, one weird thing that happens, and they're done. Yeah. And then they were a great team that won the Supporters' Shield, which I think counts for a lot, but it's not the championship of this league. And, yeah, Atlanta has, to get back to Atlanta, they, they've they figured it out. I mean, they, they won MLS Cup. They went through the playoffs last year. They figured it out last year. And then, yeah, this year they – I think Campione's Cup gives them a ton of confidence. I think winning some of the big games recently that they've won and just getting to the final of, of the Open Cup, which is something they, you know, they had crashed out after two games in the previous two years. So, mm-hmm. yeah, they mentality-wise, they got to feel good going into this game. Well, it's interesting what you, what you mentioned there about kind of just like the playoffs in general because I feel like Atlanta has an advantage, not just when we're talking about versus kind of like matching up against LAFC at least. Atlanta has the experience of not just winning a title, winning an MLS Cup or winning Campionas Cup or whatever it is, but they've also done it, at least winning MLS Cup, they did it in a way that was like pragmatic mm-hmm. and like a way yeah. where you kind of change your system or you change your style a bit to make you, you know, less susceptible to slipping up in those key situations. Right. You know, Tata Martino talked about it all last season, like you win by not making mistakes. Like the team that makes the least amount of mistakes will win the game. And I guess that's what I'm unsure, and it'll be really interesting to see if LAFC um, does try to adjust in any way to kind of prevent some of those mistakes from happening because they play in a style that I, I kind of hope they don't because I love oh, yeah. watching them they're play incredible. so much. Like they're so fun to watch, and um, and that's what everybody said about Atlanta in the playoffs. Is yeah. like, oh, we hate that they're going so pragmatic. Yeah, but it's so <laughs> but it's funny that you mentioned that Toronto game too because I remember 
after that Toronto game, when they lost to Porter Shield, I remember walking into the building. It was like a rainy Monday afterwards or whatever, doing our media the next day, and it was like somebody had died. Like, like everybody was terribly depressed. Mm-hmm. Um, Tata gave this, like, speech about how, like, when he coached um, Libertad in, in Paraguay, that it was, like, step-by-step, step, you know, advancing one round further in the Copa Libertadores. Mm-hmm. And he's, like, clearly giving the speech, like, don't get your hopes up for anything. And, um, you know, players are talking about how they're tired from the season or whatever. And then it's so funny how that kind of – that stuff, like, once you win – after you win it, it's like you almost forget that that yeah. ever happened, you know. Right. Um, so – Anyway, um, I don't know what this really has to do with anything. It's just uh, <laughs> some good Atlanta United discussion. Um, yeah, like I said, I, for me, it's hard to see Minnesota coming in and beating Atlanta unless they make those kinds of mistakes. Yeah, I mean, it, it would take it would take a mistake. I think um, I, I think that if if both teams play their best game, Atlanta's going to win. Um, if Atlanta plays poorly and Minnesota plays its best game, then you never know. And I mean, Minnesota is a pretty good team they're definitely better than they've been in their first two years um, and they have some talented players I mean Darwin Quintero is he's a talented player Mason Toy is he seems to be coming along when he's not spitting on people yeah um, yeah which I believe that he'll be able to play in this game because this is not a MLS game Uh, but yeah it's just the teams played earlier this year and if if I remember correctly it was one of those games where you know Atlanta won 3-0 but it that was kind of flattering. I think Joseph scored twice yeah. in stoppage time. Yeah. But Ico Parra had a terrible game in that game. Yeah, um, I think that was, that game, I think it was Atlanta was winning one nothing like pretty late in the second half, mm-hmm. and Minnesota almost scored. It was like yeah, a crazy they had a goal mount yeah. scramble. Yes. Uh, Atlanta kind of survived it, and then they went on, yeah, and scored two late winners. So, yeah, I mean, I, I they do have a chance. I, it's tough for me now with the way this team, the form that Atlanta's in right now, it's yeah. just... It's almost like a different team, at least the way they're performing. I was actually just looking at some of the stats, and it's just crazy. Like, over the, the last seven games since they changed the formation, um, I think the team has scored 18 goals and given up four, and three of those came on the road against LAFC. Yeah. So, you know, outside of that one game, in, in the six other games during this stretch, you've given up one goal. I mean, they're playing right now, honestly, I yeah. think, in just a, you know, limited you know section of uh, form, like, it's they're playing as well as they ever have. I mean, they're it's you know it's different. It's weird to say that because there's just been so much griping about this right. team all year. And but yeah, they've been honestly sensational um, defensively. It's it's not really the organized defending that they're like doing, but they're just winning one on one battles. I mean, all the center backs are playing well. Um, and then yeah, the attack is is looking great. Parco coming back was huge and it made everything look better. But but yeah, they just. They look confident, and they—I mean—they look like they're playing with a purpose, which is something that they didn't look like they were doing at the beginning of the year. Because, which I think goes back to confidence. They just weren't sure of themselves yet in a, under a new manager, new system, working on organized defending instead of attacking. Uh, so yeah, they—they they really are in a fantastic run of form, and it's hard to see that stopping in a final. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. It's this—this uh, this team. Now that they've hit this form, they seem very versatile. Like they're they're mm-hmm. attacking, but they they know how to play in different ways. They know how to handle certain situations, and I think that um, some of that is credit to DeBoer and kind of some of the things he instilled in this team. And I think that more so, it's just like in general, the experience this team has collected over three years of most of them playing together for at least for at least a couple years. Um, 
just kind of knowing how to navigate certain situations, knowing how their teammates are going to react in certain situations, and you know, being able to uh, deal with whatever hand is dealt to them. Yeah, and they just that that's absolutely right. And they've brought in. I mean, the depth of the squad is so good. I mean, I feel like I talk about it anytime I'm talking on a podcast. I'm talking about the depth, but it is like. That is something that should not be overlooked is how good the depth of this team is. Is you know, it's difficult to build depth in MLS. It's you know, the the salary cap makes it very tough and Atlanta really, really does have just all over the field. If a guy's okay, you know, if Joseph Martinez is missing, that's not great. But they won the semifinal of this tournament without Joseph Martinez. Um, and that was also Brandon Vasquez was injured for that game too. So they they can win. They've just and they've got guys, I mean, Justin Miram coming in and just slotting in, having great chemistry. Emerson Hindman has done the same. It's yeah. It just seems like that everybody that has come in has fit in with the rest of the team and just been able to play off of all of the chemistry mm-hmm. that is on the field and in the locker room. And yeah, it's uh, I don't know. They've been fun to watch lately. One last thing I wanted to touch on going away from the game and now moving into more overarching Atlanta United stuff. Uh, so this Jonathan Spector thing, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, if anybody hasn't heard, he's, he's a former Jonathan Spector, former U S men's national team player uh, played in England for almost the entirety of his career, played a lot at Birmingham city. I think he came up at Manchester United mm-hmm. yeah. uh, as an Academy player. Um, so anyway, Atlanta United has hired him as a scout and I, Think I suspect he will be based in England, like he will live in England and probably do some scouting and some, you know, connecting with some of the clubs, that, both that he's played for and some that he hasn't, but I'm sure he has connections kind of all over the place in the championship and stuff. To me, this hire and in general, the direction, what the message that this sends to me is the club wants to kind of broaden its scope yeah. in terms of where it can bring players in from, you know, what what it can do essentially in the transfer market. I think when this team came together, you know, they needed someone like Tata Martino who could really recruit in, a, in an area, in a market that was very suitable for what Atlanta United needed. But, you know, markets change. And, yeah. and, you know, they can't just count on this Argentine pipeline lasting forever. I think in time we'll see some of the Argentine clubs start to wisen up a bit and be like, you know, start demanding more for their players, right, that kind yeah. of things, because they, they know that they're sought after at this point. Um, and th- so the way this feels to me is, you know, maybe this is a little bit of the the South Americanization of Atlanta United, which has kind of happened with Frank DeBoer in general, I think, yeah. like the kind of some of the philosophies that he's brought to the team, the ways that he's managed the team. I think uh, Felipe once wrote about, or Michael Parker said that, you know, like you come on time, you come at 10, o- 10 o'clock, if you're <laughs> at 10.01, you might as well go home or something. You know, it, it does feel like the culture is changing just a little bit. And this hire kind of leads me to yeah, that a little bit more. I absolutely agree with that. I think that we've seen all year that it's not the same Atlanta United that it was when it started. It's not a South American team playing in North America, which yeah. is what I really felt like this club was like just the entire culture of the club seemed like. This is like a big South American club. And, yeah, we've seen this year. I mean, last year they brought in Eric Rometty, and this year they brought in Emerson Heinemann. Like, that's what I kind of think of, like, the bigger uh, summer transfer window acquisitions. And I think that that is a, yeah, perfect example. I mean, the the depth pieces and just, yeah, where they're looking, they're 
they can't just look at South America and they do need to look broadly because Atlanta started bringing in all these great Argentine players and so the rest of the league started saying like, oh yeah, that's a pretty good idea. We should do that too. And with Inter-Miami coming in, you know that that is going to be such a key aspect of how Inter-Miami is going to build their their whole roster. And, you know, frankly, even though Atlanta has had so much success and has really established itself as a you know big club in its few years of existence it's gonna be tough to compete with miami for south american talent i mean that's just that is a destination it's like the capital of latin america Mm -hmm. so if if atlanta wants to continue to to draw in like top talent relative to the league then it absolutely has to look elsewhere i think that it's been it's kind of tough looking toward europe um looking toward england because you just think about like what you get for what you pay and European talent is more expensive. Young European talent is more expensive. Uh, I mean, if you just look at South America, like young Brazilian talent is so much more expensive than young Argentine talent. Mm-hmm. Uh, you look, I mean, Atlanta still has Ezequiel Barco, Vinicius Jr., who Barco outplayed in the Sudamericana a couple of years ago. Is you know he was bought by Real Madrid for like fifty million yeah. that same yeah. transfer window, and he's playing for Real Madrid now. Um, so I, yeah, I think it, it it's definitely they're just broadening their horizons. They're they it just it still seems crazy to say but they do want to be a global club in all aspects of that and that's and yeah this is part of it i I think that we will see more players coming in from from england and you know maybe elsewhere in europe Mm -hmm. um, with specter and with the boar's network as well yeah yeah the boar has quite a he has i think his son is a scout Mm -hmm. for uh for an air divisie club and He's brought over some analysts from there to visit as well when he came in. So, yeah, I think we're definitely seeing that. I think what they probably really liked the kind of things they've gotten from guys like Dion Pereira oh, and, yeah. and even Emerson Hyman. Um, Pereira has been a much bigger player for Atlanta this year than I thought he would. Yeah, me at the too. Of the year. I mean, I thought that, like, I was kind of like, I mean, I don't know if this guy's ever really going to play. Like, I kind of don't understand the signing, honestly. Yeah. And he is a he's looked good i mean and b yeah he's just he's given him valuable minutes and i think he will continue to i think those are the kinds of targets that they will be using someone like jonathan specter for Mm -hmm. is it's not to go out and get guys who are already playing in the Premier league they can't compete at that level it's picking out those championship players or those uh, those players from academies there maybe in the Premier league that that they could have an opportunity to get in who want to come showcase them i think you can start to make the case now that you've brought in a guy like Dion Pereira and Emerson Hyman. Yeah. You can make that case to be like, hey, young British kid, look at what's a, like, how are you going to break in at the first team? Come come to MLS, we'll give you exposure. Just the same pitch that they make to the Argentine guys, exactly. you yeah, know, and thing. we'll give you a platform to something bigger and better. And that's what uh, I asked Emerson Hyman earlier. I think it was after one of the U.S. Open Cup games. Um, it was, you know, right after he signed, just, you know, it's every American player's dream to go play in Europe. Uh, was there any, you know, any hesitation to come back to MLS? He's still a young player. He's only 23, I think. And he basically said, not with Atlanta. Like, maybe some other MLS club there would be hesitation. But Atlanta, I mean, I think that that is a selling point. They could definitely sell that to to a player of the Heinemann or, or Dion Pereira profile. That if you're not getting your first team minutes there, you can come here. You can play. You can play in front of big crowds. You can get exposure and yeah, you can make it back to Europe. Yeah. I think it is possible. And when you've got a coach like a Frank DeBoer mm-hmm. or whoever comes after him, I'm sure it'll be another high profile right. you know, coach. Like that will be a destination point for these kids. So 
Anyway, I think it looks like it's about to start raining, and we are outside, if you couldn't tell by the wind, so we're going to get out of here. Thank you guys for listening in. Chris, thank you for uh, coming on the show. Yeah, pleasure. We're, we're, shake, we're shaking hands. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we'll talk to you guys soon uh, after uh, Atlanta United hopefully wins a U.S. Open Cup final against Minnesota United. Until then, see you guys later.